Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Father Ten Boom, God's Man, by Corey Ten Boom, with permission of Lighthouse Trails Publishing and the Ten Boom Foundation. And we are in Chapter 11, Switzerland. Broke? No. That was my first thought as I jumped out of bed. What a nightmare. The whole night I'd seen the bill that was due the next day. The bank manager had said he would wait only one more week, but the money was not there, neither in cash nor in the bank. Lord, please send many people to buy watches. That day, Father opened the door for a man whom I'd never seen before. Sitting behind my workbench, I could hear part of their conversation. I need a good watch, the gentleman said. Father had a persuasive way of describing a good watch. This is a watch from one of the best factories. The steel is the finest quality. You can trust it to give you the correct time, and you will have a watch you will enjoy for many years. I saw the man take the money from his wallet. Cash! What a joy! I was sure it would be enough to pay the bill. The man lingered for a moment before leaving the shop. What was he saying to Father? I leaned forward to hear. I had a good watchmaker, Van Houten. He died some weeks ago, and his son now has the business. That young man is not a good watchmaker. I brought a watch from him, and it does not work properly. I took it back to him three times. May I see the watch, Father asked. He opened the watch, took his looking glass from his pocket, and adjusted it something. Your watch is very good. There was a little mistake, which I can easily put right. Will you please give me back the watch I just sold you? Young Van Houten is a very good watchmaker. You can trust him. The gentleman looked amazed, but he returned the watch he had just bought, and Father gave him back his money. How could Father do that? Why? Had he forgotten the bill that was going to arrive? Father opened the door for the man to leave and bowed in his courteous way. Papa, why did you do that? I asked impatiently. Listen, girl, you know I brought the gospel at the Van Houten's funeral. What if that young man should hear that one of his best customers went to Tin Booms? Do you think the name of the Lord would be glorified? Corey, there is blessed and there is unblessed money. I know you're thinking of the bill that has to be paid, but trust the Lord. That evening, I corrected Father's copy for his weekly watchmaker's magazine. Betsy and I always did that work, and it taught me a lot. In his article, Father described an unusual project, which Betsy and I enjoyed reading about. The Emperor of Austria had ordered a special watch to be made for him. However, he had since abdicated and now could not afford the high price of the watch. It was made of heavy gold and was the first pocket watch ever made that played a tune. The tune was Ranch de Batches, a Swiss folk song. At the end of the article, Father wrote, I congratulate the watchmaker who will sell this watch, the most expensive in the world. One of the customers who always went straight to Father's workbench was an officer who was very keen on a new discovery whereby watches could be read in the dark. He was so enthusiastic that he brought in all his alarm clocks, watches, and even his guns to have illuminating marks put on them. A few days after Father wrote the article about Ron's devouches, this customer came into the shop. Mr. Tinboom, I would like to have a watch that nobody else has. Do you know if that is possible? I do not mind what the price is. I know a watch that is unique, Father answered. It is the Ron's devouches. He described the watch and the man immediately took a large sum of money from his pocket. There were more banknotes on the showcase than I had ever before seen in our house. I'm going to Switzerland this week, and I will fetch the watch from the factory myself, the man said. 
In Switzerland, the happy manufacturer showed his customers some other unusual watches, which he also bought. All the discount was sent to Father. Father, how wonderful the Lord has helped us. I feel so ashamed that I was so scared. The sale of the most expensive watch in the world brought in so much money that Father was able to send me to Switzerland as an apprentice in two factories. I would learn how to make the most important parts of the watches. When you can make something, you can repair it, Father said. My stay in Switzerland. I began the long journey to Switzerland. I reached Basel on the first day and had to wait until the next day when I would be able to go to Biel, my destination. I was so used to talking everything over at home that I almost told the hotel doorman where I was going when I went for a walk. Business friends of fathers had found a room for me in the minister's home in Biel. Five boys, all students at the watchmaker school, were also in the house. I started working in the watch factory. What a contrast. I could picture father behind his workbench in the corner of the small workshop. He and I would be busy for many hours each day doing the meticulous work of repairing and cleaning watches. Although it was precision work, it did not always demand too much thought. Father and I both had Bibles in the drawers of our work tables, and he was always willing to talk over any problems which came into my busy brain. There were happy interruptions, too. Betsy might come into the shop saying, Father, Corey, give your watches half an hour's rest. Mindelberg is playing a Bach cantata over the radio. Come into the living room, and in the meantime, you will enjoy a cup of soup such as you have never tasted in your life. Father and I never refused. We enjoyed life. Now I was sitting in a small factory with Swiss people around me who had quite accepted the fact that they were cogs in a machine. They did the same thing over and over again, hour in, hour out, sometimes all their lives. One of the workers had her 70th birthday and received her pension. She went home, but after a week she was back, begging to be allowed to go on with her work. She worked in the factory until she died. She had to put screws into holes all day long. The small size screw, the same size hole, thousands every day. A Dutch girl in a Swiss factory. Why? How could you? What is the meaning of this? The director's voice demanded. I stood in front of the factory owner and gasped for breath. For about seven hours, I'd done nothing but make curves in a spiral watch springs, one after the other, again and again. Suddenly, the door opened and a big dog ran into the room. I jumped up, hugged the dog, and we fell onto the floor together, and a happy fight started between us. One moment, he was underneath me. The next moment, I was trying to stop his tugging and loosening all my hair over my laughing face. I don't know who enjoyed the fight more. And then the director came in. I felt like a naughty schoolgirl as I stood in front of him. His face was one big question mark. Why? Because I'm not a part of an engine, I replied. This is the 15th day I've been making curves and spiral springs for nine hours a day. Your dog was a most welcome guest, and perhaps he saved me from going crazy. Did the director understand the Dutch girl standing in front of him? Her hair all over her face, her dress very crumpled after a fight with his dog? I spent nine hours a day for two years of my life making that curve, he replied. Which years of your life were they? When I was 16 and 17. Forgive me, sir, but you are Swiss and I am Dutch. Do not refuse the cross. Even the beginning of the day in Switzerland was different from that in the Bayet. Breakfast was dry bread and chocolate milk. What a combination. I felt hungry the whole morning. 
Sometimes there was shopping to do, and I enjoyed serving the company by going to the shop and buying gasoline or whatever was needed. I always bought some good Swiss buns at the same time and returned through the back street where I could eat them on the steps of a house. I would look around to make sure nobody from the factory was passing by to see the Dutch apprentice wasting her time. Although I had passed my 20th birthday, I often behaved like a teenager. The Harlem mayor's daughter, Stanny, was at school in Bale to learn French. I knew her from the shop, and on several evenings we went for walks outside Bale and had a good swim in the lake. After 10 o'clock, the front door of the minister's home over the church was closed. One evening, Stanny and I forgot all about the time, enjoying the moonlight over the lake of Biel. The front door was closed, and I did not want to ring the bell, for the minister would see that I had broken a rule of the house. One window in the church was open, and I tried to climb up to reach it. If I stood on Stanny's shoulders, I could manage. It was almost a success. I reached the window, leaned over the edge, but was not quite far enough, and fell back nearly into the arms of the minister who was coming around the corner. Stanny had disappeared. At the breakfast table the next morning, the minister said, Although all of you work on watches, one of you could not read the clock last night. I hope this will not happen again. Contact with home kept me encouraged. Streams of letters came and went. I wrote that the French language was causing me difficulties. The factory manager's little girl often came into our workroom. She and I understood each other, and I learned simple French from her. Father wrote, I am glad that you have a little girl to practice your French with. Talk as much as you can with her. She will understand your broken French better than the grown-ups. You asked me in your letter why we always have so many sorrows and money problems. Here is a legend from my notebook. Two pilgrims were on their way to a city that they had to reach by nightfall. Each was carrying a cross that was so heavy they nearly fell under the weight of it. One of them took his cross, sawed half of it off. He comforted himself with the thought that it was still a cross. The other sawed it through the beams lengthwise so that they were half as thick. He thought, it does not matter, the shape is the same. And at last they reached their destination, but they could not enter the city. A deep canal blocked the way. There was no bridge, no boat, or ferry. Our crosses will help us out, they thought. We will use them as a bridge. So the first one laid his cross across the water, but it was too short. The other one's cross fitted exactly from one bank to the other. But when they tried to step on it, It began to crack. It was too thin to hold them. And there they stood, regretting that they had made their crosses lighter. We must be so careful that we do not refuse the cross that the Lord has given us to carry. Let us remember that our present sufferings serve to prepare us for entering into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14.27 My French teacher The only language used in the minister's house and at the factory was French. How difficult it was for me to understand. I decided to take French lessons, and Miss Bonjour became my teacher. In her little house, I found the fellowship that kept homesickness at bay. We read the Bible together, and every week she took me on a picnic. She always had the best Swiss cheese and chocolate in her knapsack. Mountains in Switzerland are difficult to climb, but the old Berta Bonjour had Swiss legs, and although I was much younger, I had difficulty keeping up with her. We stretched out in the grass in the alpine meadow, a field with flowers all around us. There was a tremendous view over the lower mountains to the Alps with their eternal snow. Berta got out her little Bible and started to read about Jesus coming again. 
But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2. I don't know much about the future, Berta said. My minister speaks about it once a year. Do you know what the Bible tells about it? Father taught much, Berta, I said. And when he prays, he always ends the prayer with the same words. And Heavenly Father, let the day come soon when Jesus, your beloved Son, comes on the clouds of heaven. Even when I was a little girl, I knew it must be a great joy because Father prays for it every day. I never thought about the joy, said Berta. I'm a little afraid of Jesus' coming. Do you go to church? Yes. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. Since Jesus finished all on the cross, the judgment day will not be terrible. If we believe in Jesus, we will be saved. The more I got to know Berta, the more I enjoyed the talks we had with the old saint. She loved the Lord. She had been a governess of the children of Earl von Molka in Germany, and now she lives on a very small income in her miniature Swiss chalet. I learned from her how poor people could be rich when they had the gift of sharing the little that they have with others. Factory Training I slowly became used to the life in a factory. Swiss people demand much of their workers. I had to keep a strenuous schedule, but I enjoyed the company of the people around me. Later, I understood that working in the factory was a part of my training, and I remembered Father's legend. More than 30 years later, I was once again a factory worker, this time as a prisoner in the hands of Adolf Hitler. Everybody was trained to make the lives of prisoners as difficult as possible. However, I learned to almost appreciate the work we had to do in that factory, making radio sets for the German airplanes. As long as I was in the factory, my life was almost the normal life of a factory worker. What a good thing it was that when I was young, I had learned about factory life. Back to the Bayer. I returned to the Bayer into the business, and there followed many fruitful years of work in the watch shop and outside. Father knew the art of living and passed it on to us. He wrote this letter to me when I was out of town. My dear child, we had a beautiful Sunday today. It was a foretaste of heaven. A Sunday like this is a peaceful island amid the wild, unruly waves of the ocean. Tomorrow we set sail again from this quiet harbor. Then we will head into the battle against the storms of care. Sometimes during the night I think about my problems and my lack of money, but then the light glows inside me. He who is holding the rudder will bring everything to a good end. And the next chapter is Father and His Grandchildren. We'll see you next time. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.